start with, but I'll just say a prayer quick. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the greatest gift you could have given us besides your son with the word, Lord Jesus. I ask that it would go forth with strength and life and in the power of your Holy Spirit. So Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. Therefore, each of you must put all falsehood, put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Verse 29 to 32. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your word. Amen. Thank you, Lisa, for reading the word. We had planned a, a high-speed exchange of the baton, but uh, she knew I couldn't keep up. So, <clears throat> But just your mention of the appreciation for Scripture. Um, all right, then. <laughs> Built for short people. Um, one of the recent events in my life, I've had a, numerous opportunities to be with families during a time of grieving, the loss of a loved one. And just recently we had one, and I know some of the family is present this morning. And uh, you need to know that I didn't know that you would be there necessarily. I just was going to do this anyway. But um, one of the great testimonies in this one funeral was that this was a person who loved Scripture. And I had the privilege of having his Bible for several days just to pour through it and see what was in there, all the places he'd underlined in different colors and arrows and so on. Uh, it was really incredible. You, you could spend days just going through it. I actually went to every page and just flipped it and just looked and looked and looked. But a life that's built on Scripture is usually a life really well lived. And that would certainly have been the testimony for Clayton English his family would bear witness of the fact that what he carried in his heart from Scripture impacted their lives, made an impact on them, and uh, blessed his family, blessed his marriage by following. And one of the places that was really colored and underlined in multiple layers of arrows and circles and whatever was Ephesians 5, the wonderful story of God's instruction to husbands and wives. Now, saying all that to say this, that <clears throat> I don't know how for some of us, our families are going to be able to go into our cell phones and see what we did with Scripture. You know, like we don't mark it the same way. At least I don't know how you would do that. Maybe there is a way. But if your life is based on Scripture, your family will know it. Your neighbors will know it. Uh, everyone that meets you, if they stop and think, they're going to realize what makes this life different. Well, they've based their life on truth. God's truth as it's found in Scripture. So I just want to make mention of that. And uh, I wonder, can I get a, a taller stand? Is there something I'm not doing here? 
I'm also deaf, so I'm not just blind, but... Uh... <laughs> Man! Of course, I could have done that myself. I just... Uh... Just wanted to give Steve an opportunity to serve, you know. <laughs> I'm glad you weren't hurt. <laughs> Good gracious. Anyway, have I got your attention now? Yes, I think. Enough of that lighthearted banter stuff. So, <clears throat> last week, Pastor Steve um, unpacked his portions of Ephesians and he kind of finished up with three incredible points, and I really felt when I went back and looked at it, I thought, well, that's kind of a carryover into what I want to try and do today, which is so fitting. Um, and he made these three points, each one of them starting with a worthy life that matches our calling. And just that phrase, just let that kind of soak in, a worthy life that matches our calling in Christ. And he said these three points. He said, number one, a worthy life that matches our calling makes every effort to keep peace and unity intact in the body. That last little bit's a bit of a paraphrase, but that's really what he said. That if we're going to live our Christian life well, one of the things that will mark us, if we're really getting this right, is that we are instruments of peace and unity. We don't cause division. We don't stoke uh, unhappiness or discontent. We're building to the unity together all the time. It's just part of what we are. And I dare say that that probably shows up in families, in communities, even on the work site. We can be instruments of unity and peace. That would be, that would be an alignment with our calling in Christ. Secondly, <clears throat> excuse me, a worthy life that matches our calling is centered on serving in the body of Christ. Uh, and just this morning, we heard just minutes ago a call for help within the church. Uh, one-time events like the food drive. And honestly, my daughter, years, many years ago when I was pastoring here, she jumped on a plane in Edmonton. She's not quite right in the head, I have to say. I love her, but uh, she put a Halloween costume on in Edmonton, went into the airport, got on the plane, flew to Regina. We picked her up, I'm like, oh, my goodness, and came here and served in the food drive in her Halloween costume. Now, I'm not in favor of Halloween. I just want you to know that right off, that I think that's just wrong, except for the candy. That's good. Um, <laughs> but it's an adventure, and it's fun to do, so I hope that you'll be able to do that. But some of the serving in the church isn't quite that much fun. Some of it's really hard work. Uh, we have a, a very dynamic next-generation ministry, and the need for help is constant. And uh, <clears throat> guys... One of the things that's really missing and part of that is us, men, serving in the children's ministry. Uh, we prayed about that just a week or so ago when we, we did a prayer, kind of prayer walk through the next-gen ministry, praying for God to bless this ministry. And I would just say, if, if you're calling, if you want to live a life worthy of your calling, there's the place to serve. Um, <clears throat> why not prevent the harm? Let the kids come to know Jesus so that they don't. We're not trying to rescue them later in their life. It's hard to do that. And the third one was, <clears throat> excuse me, a worthy life that matches our calling speaks the truth and love to each other. Um, you know, that's kind of an instrument of peace kind of thing, but sometimes we need to say things to each other. There's a word that God has given us, an encouragement, maybe an exhortation, or maybe a 
lovingly a rebuke or a challenge and sometimes in her life I I know that I would need people who love me to sometimes put their hand on me and say Dave <laughs> riding a Harley Davidson is inappropriate you know like no don't say that to me like that's not loving if you say that but but sometimes we need the the exhortation <clears throat> but only if it's in delivered with love if we don't put love in it don't bother saying it because it can't be taken in because it may be you know come with an edge to it so speak the truth in love that's that matches our calling <clears throat> excuse me in the portion of last week chapter 4 verse 1 to 16 of, of Philippians or Ephesians rather um, there it's talking about the unity of the body and, and the function of the body uh, the call to be mature and and God has seen fit to place people and uh, strengths of people and spiritual gifts of people into the body to help it become mature and to be godly and to and to do its mission well <clears throat> apostles prophets evangelists pastors teachers those are kind of like offices those are kind of like jobs and uh, people have different jobs to do they're they're called to do that thing and if that if you're in that list do it uh, just not going to spend time on this, but the apostle is the beginner, the planter, the go beyond to new places, start something. And I would say in the Western church, we desperately need some people to start some stuff. We're stuck. The Western church is not doing real, real well. We, as far as the third world, they outstrip us in evangelistic growth. We need some apostles and prophets and evangelists. Where's the evangelists? Prophets became popular. Everybody wanted to be a prophet. We need some evangelists, people that will take the gospel and be effective with it, not just have it, but be able to communicate it well. Pastors, shepherds, yes, of course. There's a great need for shepherding care in people's lives, and then to be able to teach the truth of Scripture. What a great gift. And then there's, in Romans 12, perceivers, servers, teachers, encouragers, exhorters, givers, leadership people, compassion people, uh, in one of our recent events in the funeral, there was a, a granddaughter, you could tell, just wired by God to be an administrator. She just took care of details, just everywhere, just fixing and ordering things and getting it all in place. It was marvelous to see. The church needs that. We need all these different kinds of people, the, the compassion people. Are you one of those? Maybe you've just got an, an automatic gift your heart just feels what others feel and you're just there to be compassionate to them. Bless you. Do that. It's desperately needed. Um, and then in Corinthians 12, I'm not going to spend time on this either, but there's word gifts. People can, have been given ability to speak a message, a, wisdom, a message of wisdom, a message of knowledge. Have faith. Listen, we can all have faith, but it seems obvious in the life and rhythm of churches when you look at it, there's some people that just have been given a gift of faith. They will just stand and pray, and you know, but God responds because He's given them faith to see the mountains moved, right? We need those kind of people as well. <clears throat> uh, excuse me. <clears throat> Healing. To pray for people and see people healed. It's not over with that, folks. We we need in our culture there's uh, some of us know a, a friend of from Eston country he's been involved with the school there Brian Carswell 
And Brian is this just good guy, so unassuming, but he'll walk up to strangers. He sees somebody say, I see you've got a broken leg. No, I mean, he'll, he'll just walk up to people and say, can I pray for you? And if it's a healing, he'll just pray. And God's healing people in parking lots of 7-Elevens. We need that. Make sure you've got the gift, but do we have the gift of healing to go and see people touched and changed? Uh, miracles, prophecy, discerning of spirits, tongues and interpretations, and all of these things are that the church would no longer be infants blowing this way and that with every new teaching that's coming around, but a mature body uh, so that we can go on mission. So that's kind of bringing us to this point. So that kind of takes us to chapter 14, uh, chapter 3, pardon me, uh, 4, 14 and 15 and 16. That's kind of where it stops. And my part picks up in chapter 14, 4, 17 through to 5, 7. And I think if I don't slow down, I could have a heart attack. So I'm just going to slow down and talk. This is what chapter 4.17 says. Now, this is the Apostle Paul speaking to Christians, to us. This isn't just in the Bible for that church in Ephesus. This has actually been passed by God to us today to also speak to us. And so this is, this is speaking to Christian people. And if you're here this morning and maybe you're not a Christian at this point, uh, I trust that your heart will be open. But this is specifically speaking to people who have made a decision to follow Christ. And Paul says this, and it's, it's kind of tough. Just look at the tough language in here. So I tell you this, and insist on it. Paul said, I insist that you hear this and get in line with it. That you must, you must no longer live as the Gentiles. Now, that's not Jew and Gentile talking about that kind of difference. It's talking about people who are away from God, people who don't know God. That, that's what the Gentiles were like originally. The Ephesians were Gentiles, but as they came to know Christ... They were now Christians. They were people of the way. They were no longer thinking of that non-ungodly sort of cultural phenomenon that, that they were. So Paul is saying you must no longer live like you used to. You must not live your life like the people who don't know God at all. Now, Ephesus, not going to spend time on that, but it was a godless place. There was much demonic practice, much affluence, all the baggage that came with the Roman Empire and all of its wickedness. It was all there. And when people came to know Christ, they were coming out of the culture and living different. That's what they were supposed to do. But Paul says here, obviously he's responding to what he's aware of. He's saying, some of you have gone back to begin to live the way you did. And I just want to say this, that affluent Sinful culture is very seductive. It's very powerful. It is the overarching power in the, in the culture. And so we, as we live in a Western affluent world where we don't pay any real price to be a Christian, we're not persecuted yet, um, 
where, you know, we can be on the outside of some things and it can feel uncomfortable, but if we're in a place where we can be a follower of Christ and it doesn't cost, sometimes we get sloppy. And sometimes we, we become influenced by the culture. Now, as he starts to describe this in the verses that will follow, he says that these people are living life without God. He calls them they. I'll, I'll draw more attention to that. They are darkened in their understanding. They are separated from the life of God. <clears throat> they are ignorant. I'm just thinking about this. If I walk up to somebody, anybody, you'd, I wouldn't advise you to do this, but if you walk up to somebody and look them right in the eye and say, you're ignorant, what do you think the response might be? Whack, you know. You know, I mean, that's tough language. You're ignorant. Paul says here, he says, listen, these people are ignorant of what? Of God, of truth. Why is that? Their hearts have become hardened. Um, when you, how many of you, when you hear of somebody with a hardened heart, how many of you thought of Pharaoh? How many kind of thought, click, yeah, there's a couple hands going up. So you're the quick people. The rest of you, can we get some coffee in here? Like, um, you just, that's the great terrible example in scripture about a hard heart. Seven times God confronted Pharaoh through Moses and Aaron and seven times Pharaoh dug in and said no, I will not bend. I will not do what you say. I will do what I want to do. And four times, this is where it gets a little creepy, four times in their interactions it says in scripture that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. I'll tell you, folks, when you get to the place where God is hardening your heart, you're in a world of hurt. When you say no to him repeatedly, it's just such a bad idea. And yet, North American culture, for the large part, is saying to God, no. God says, live right, live right, live clean. You know, follow principles of righteous living. They're saying, no. No, we're not doing it your way. We're going to do it our way. We've celebrated being independent. I'll do what I want to do. Is that not what you see in a child who needs correction? No. I'm not sharing my toys. You know, like it's no. We say no. And God said, if you do that, you're putting yourself in a dangerous place. Paul is saying this to Christians. Don't be like that. In Romans chapter 1, there's another rough example of humanity rejecting God. God shown the heavens above and animals and scripture and the Holy Spirit, all these ways that God has communicated to people. And people are saying, get out of our life. Get out of our culture. We're not going to have you telling us what to do. Get away from us. And then there's three repeated phrases in Romans that always sobers me up when I look at it. And it says three times, God gave them over. God gave them over. They said no to God, no to God, no to God. And finally God said, I now withdraw my redeeming grace from your life. I'm going to pull back my holy restraint, my loving restraint. I'm going to pull it back. And I'm going to let you do what you choose to do. And you say, oh, pastor, no, read it. 
Don't fool with God. He's a loving God, but He's holy and He's perfect. And he knows how life makes sense. He loves us so much, he gave his only begotten son to die on the cross. That's the one people are saying no to. The one who would give it all for them. That's a dangerous thing to say no to that kind of love. Because what you do is you separate yourself from that love. In chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, pardon me. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God out of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts, having lost all sensitivity. Hear that. They lost all sensitivity. They have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity. They are full of greed. Reading on verse 19. And they, the ungodly in their spirit, this is my, this is an amplified, so you can read that and I'll read this and you'll, we'll get it together. Having become callous and unfeeling, they have given themselves, themselves over as a prey, like a victim, to unbridled sensuality, eagerly craving the practices of every kind of impurity that their hearts desire. Isn't it interesting, folks? It's just kind of unnerving a little bit to me that when humanity says a stubborn no to God, what often begins to happen something goes off in their sexuality. Something starts to distort. Something gets unhealthy. All through human culture, read the history of Rome and Greece and see what you see. When a culture has totally rejected God, sexual stuff becomes a problem. It does. It's just true. And Paul is saying that to a group of Christians. Watch what you do. There's danger around you. This insensitive, insensitive, I can't say it, insensitive side of our life, when we become insensitive to God. Uh, Psalm chapter 32, I love this little nugget in, in the Psalms. And God is saying, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye. Uh, do you remember teachers in school or parents who would, wouldn't even say anything? They'd just look at you and kind of go. And you knew that's, that's no. That's a no look. That's a no-go zone. Just didn't say anything, just. God said, I want to be able to guide you. with. I want you to have a sensitive heart to me that I can just guide you with a glance. I don't want to yell at you to get your attention. I want you to hear my heart. Tune yourself into me. Later we're going to read about walking in step in the spirit. Walk with God. Be sensitive to God. If we become callous, it gets dangerous. In this psalm it says, Do not be like a horse or a mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Listen, folks. Have a tender conscience. Say, God, keep my, keep my heart soft. Keep my conscience just really gentle. 
that if you don't approve, I'll know it right away. And if you do approve, I'll know it right away. It's not just saying no to you. Sometimes we need to hear a yes from God. Yes, that's what I want you to do. Yes. Worship like that. Yes. Pray. Yes. Share your faith. Yes. There's many yeses from God. But we also need to learn to hear the, no, don't do that. Don't, that's going to hurt you. Don't do that. We need to have a sensitive heart towards God. Children of God, don't be like those people who've become callous and hard that God can't communicate to because they've slammed the door so many times the door is now stuck. That's a dangerous thing to get into. Ephesians 4, 24 to 24 says this to, now he's changing from they, now he's using the word you. You know, don't be like that, but this is what you should be like. Uh, <clears throat> that is, that, however, is not the way you learned, the way of life you learned. When you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth in Jesus, you were taught in regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by deceitful desires and to be made new in the attitudes of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Put, put away the old. Keep putting it away because it wants to come back. It just, sometimes it follows us. You remember the good times we used to have back then? You know? No. They weren't good times. They were dangerous. Don't do that. Don't go back there. Put on the new life that's been given to you. In Galatians chapter 5, Paul's also writing, and it's similar sounding stuff that he's saying. For he says, that, uh, Romans or Galatians 5, 17 to 25, it says, For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict. I want to pause. We're good. Actually, we're going to pray in just a minute. I want to pray with you. Conflict. There's like two things inside of us sometimes. One part of us is, is drawn towards God. And it's marvelous. It's beautiful and good and fulfilling and safe. And rich beyond belief. But there's another side in us that is fed at the wrong fountain sort of thing. We, we know there's this thing. And some of you this morning, I need to just say this to you. Some of us in this room, and listen, I know what it is to be conflicted. I, you need to understand, as I'm talking to you, I'm painfully aware of how flawed I am. I know the battles that I have. So I understand the struggle. I understand what it is to live in a state of conflict, but sometimes we think when I'm in conflict, you think it's secret. Nobody knows you're in conflict. That's not true. Sometimes pain, conflict is painfully obvious. We're just out of step, and, and we know this isn't what God wants for me. This isn't what he's planned for me. And I'm torn. I, 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 I know my heart. I want to be near God, but... I get trapped, I get caught, by, and sometimes it's, it's much on me. I've opened the wrong door, and uh, there's this, this stuff just gets me, and I'm living a conflicted life. Paul writes that. He says, they are in conflict with each other so that you are not 
to do whatever you want, but if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious, and here it is again, sexual immorality. Could it be that in the Western church that part of our struggle is that we've turned back towards a dark edge of human sexuality? Secret, in the brain, private, nobody knows. Listen, and it doesn't have to just be that. It can be bitterness, uh, unforgiveness, coveting. The list is long. It's ugly. It's an ugly list. But we're conflicted because we're, we're, we're sort of here, but we've got one foot kind of over here. And we're just struggling back and forth. Paul is speaking to us in these scriptures. The acts of the flesh are obvious, verse 19. Sex, impurity, it's a horrible list. Debauchery, adultery, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, ugly. He said, now listen, I'm warning you. I'm warning you. Hear this. Here's where it gets a little, what did he just say? I'm warning you Christians, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Ooh, pastor, where are you going? Let's just pause. I'm going to say more about this. But I really felt this morning I should just sort of take a time out and just say, Lord, the psalmist said, Lord, search my heart. See if there's any wicked way in me. I don't, want to, I don't want to sound like a legalistic, harsh, ranting preacher. That's not my heart at all. But I know what it is to be flawed. I know what it is to live where I shouldn't live with thoughts here and there where they shouldn't be. I know this journey. That's why I would beg you and plead with you, let's deal with that this morning. Let's take a step. So I'm going to ask you, would you just bow your head? Just, just bow your head. Whatever, whatever you do to be private, just be private. And just forget that we're in a room with a bunch of people. Just you and God and me and God. And I'm just going to pray a really simple prayer. And if you, if you know what I'm saying right now, and this has landed with you, just, just take the moment. Lord, we know who we are. We know what you've done. You, you are good. You've given us a chance to live and you've forgiven us of our sins. You've started a spiritual journey with us. But Lord, we know there's stuff in us, things that we're doing, thinking, saying, looking at, whatever. It's just not right. There's never been a question that it's right or wrong. We know it's wrong. And the moments after we live with a deep remorse and Sometimes we just pretend it didn't happen, but Lord, we know. And so this morning we ask you for your forgiveness. We ask you for your cleansing. We ask you, Lord, to change us inside. We ask you to give us the power and strength to say no to these things that are unhealthy. Lord, I pray you'd bring us into relationships where we can find an accountability and a love that will just help us to do right. 
I pray as a church family we would be guardians of each other's hearts, not legalistically looking for faults and accusing, but just coming beside each other and saying, I'm going to help you walk, brother or sister. Let's walk. Let's pursue God together. Let's get this right. Pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Reading on in Galatians, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and forbearance and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Self-control. That's one of the gifts he gives us. Self-control. We can be free of these things. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. But, but hear this phrase. I want to say it really clear. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Lord, every day, crucify my life. Lord, every moment of the day, crucify my inner life. Kill those things in me that are toxic. Take them out of my life and let me live free and clear. Now, it was read to, this, read to us this morning by Lisa, Ephesians 4.25 and then 4.29 to 32. And I just want to revisit that because this is a big part of getting this life, worthy life that matches our calling. One of our biggest problems often is men and women who want to follow God is this thing, this mouth piece. <laughs> we say what we shouldn't say. We can, be, we can do a lot of good with our tongue and we can do a lot of damage with our tongue. Do you, do you realize that I can gossip about somebody 5,000 miles from me and do them damage? It's like a long-range ballistic missile sent by North Korea, you know? I can do damage on somebody way over there with this. I can make you think poorly of somebody and be suspicious of them when they're way over there and we're here. It's a powerful thing, the human tongue, our words that we speak. In Ephesians 4.25, it says, put off falsehood. I just want to say, we don't use the word falsehood we're more familiar with fake or phony, you know, fake news. Somebody used that phrase somewhere, just fake news. What is it? It's news. No, it's not. It's actually fake. Um, how many of you don't show us, but how many of you have uh, dentures this morning? <clears throat> how many wished you could buy some, you know? Like, I've got this gap that... Um, your dentures are not real teeth. They're false teeth. They look okay, but they're false teeth. <laughs> Sometimes our falsehood looks good, but it's false. Sometimes we work hard at having a certain image, but it's actually false. Paul is giving us an admonition. He said, put off falsehood. Don't be fake. Just be real. It may not be as attractive as your image, but just be, be real. I'd rather have the real you than the fake you. And uh, we all know, like Sunday morning, some of us, when we got up this morning, we put that thing on, right? Okay. It's time to be a Christian. How's it going? Oh, fine. Bless God. <laughs> now, all that stuff, you know, I mean, you know, it's in the car when you're driving here. You're kind of getting ready to meet people and... <clears throat> 
How are you doing, brother? Oh, good. Couldn't be better. <laughs> I'm dying in here, but I'm not telling you, you know. He said, put that away. Put that away. Be real with each other. Speak the truth. Speak truthfully to your neighbor. That's not just about lying. It's about faking. That's not healthy. We're not, we need to be just genuine people. Unwholesome talk. Um, don't let unwholesome talk come out of your house, but only that which is helpful, building others up. Um, how many of you are Jordan Peterson fans? All the students, of course. You have to be under a certain age, I think, to be a real fan, but some of us older ones are kind of watching this guy with some interest as well. He's, he's a strange contradiction of a guy. He's an intellectual giant, but whatever, he's, he's gone through periods of deep, dark depression. He's had serious illnesses that Prenier killed him. And, yet, and his wife, Prenier, died many times of cancer, and they journeyed through that. And she's a follower of Christ. And I think he kind of is now too, but he just doesn't make it quite as clear as you'd like. But when he's being interviewed by Piers Morgan, he got teared up in various points in his interview with him. And Piers Morgan came back, circled back, and he said, why did you get so emotional during our interview? And he said, because sometimes, and he just, he just turned into a puddle, he said, sometimes I worry or I get thinking about how many people live a whole life without an encouraging word. Who live and die and never receive an encouraging word. Paul said here, when you open this up, build people. Build people up. Any idiot can be negative and tear somebody down. But it takes a child of God to beautifully build people. After you've been in a conversation with them and you've spent time with them, ask yourself the question, are they stronger now? Did I leave them a little higher up the ladder? Did I lift them up? That's what we're supposed to do. Are we speaking out of our old self or our new self? Bible says also we're not to grieve the Holy Spirit. Get rid of all bitterness and rage, forgiving each other. I just thought about this this morning and I was doodling on this page and I thought, I can probably forgive a non-Christian person for doing something wrong to me quicker than I can a fellow brother or sister. It's funny about that, isn't it? We can, take a, we can get a chip on our shoulder in the church and keep it for an awfully long time. And Paul said, don't do that. That's the old way. The new way is to, to get that dealt with. Get it out of the way. Put it away. Don't carry that bitter thought in your heart. I pray the Lord's Prayer every day when I drive to Moose Jaw. Oh, I should tell you, um, this is a funny biker part of me. Some of you are asking, are you still riding your bike? Well, of course I am. I'm a real man. You know, Harley riders can ride all year round. You know, we got snow tires. So we'll see you in January, you know. Nah, no, it just takes, even now it takes about 20 minutes to get dressed and Pat has to help me, you know, can lift your leg. Okay, can you pull it? You know. <laughs> so I'm driving in on my motorcycle and I put away my little cool looking porridge pot helmet, which makes me look you know, like one of those guys, you know. I got that off and I got the full face on, so you can't see anything. Just a little spot here. 
So I'm saying the Lord's Prayer out loud, as I would normally in my car if I'm driving a car, and my window is fogging. My face shield is fogging up as I, Our Father who art in heaven, you know, <laughs> open it up, let some air go through it, and click it back down again, you know. And then, I, just don't get weird now, I'm not, I'm not a crazy person, but I always... I always pray in tongues. At the end of my Lord, I pray in the Lord's Prayer, and then to myself, in private, I pray in tongues, as we're instructed to do for your personal edification. So I'm doing that, and I found like this, this helmet, it, it squeezes my face, this, this full-face showy helmet, very expensive helmet. It just squeezes it, and it's very safe. But my tongue language sounded funny. Okay, I'm just, that's... I'm just saying, it did. It was just kind of weird, right? So, I don't know where that came from, but... Um, oh, the Lord's Prayer. What does it say in there? <laughs> Forgive us our trespasses, period. Uh -uh. As we forgive others. Could it be that we stand without the true benefits of forgiveness because we have an unforgiving heart? And God is saying, hold it. I'm not letting you slide this by. You've got an offense in your heart. Let's get this dealt with. You want my forgiveness? You deal with that. Just saying. Now, this thing about there's, for this, you know, Ephesians 5 says it, and we read Galatians 5.21, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Ephesians 5 says this, for this you can be sure, no immoral impure or greedy person, such person as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of Christ and of God. <clears throat> and that is being said not to the unbelievers of Ephesus, but to the church in Ephesus. Now, pastor, what are you going to do with this? I don't know. So I went to our pastor, my pastor, and I said, pastor, I've got this thing in Ephesians, I'm going to be speaking about it, and I've got this thought in my brain, but I'm needing some reference help, and when I kind of quit being full-time lead pastor, I gave a lot of my books away, and some are in a Tupperware box in my garage, so I don't have any reference books, and he catches me when I'm in his office snooping through his library, and he's not, he gets me out of there, you know, no. And I told him what I was, this passage, he said, I know exactly. So he, he, he got his computer out, and he got me onto John Piper. And because Piper took on this difficult saying, why is Paul saying to Christians, you will lose your inheritance if we've been told early in Ephesians that he, you, we are sealed by the Spirit to guarantee our inheritance? And I thought all the way back to my Bible school days, and Piper says that he believes that the warning is true, but he said also God in his love and mercy will pursue us and put us right. That's how he deals with it. I, I think that's a valid comment. Very bright guy, very capable guy. Alan Mortensen, who's now home with the Lord, was one of our teachers and eventually the president of the Bible College in Eston. And he said, eternal life is not just long life. We think, well, I've got eternal life. That means I'm going to live forever with Jesus no matter what. He said, it's a quality of life. It's God's life. It's the life of Christ. If I have an inheritance in the kingdom, it means that I can be a messenger of the kingdom. I can present the kingdom. 
And if I can say this, and I don't mean this in an arrogant way, I say this with great humility, I can bring the kingdom to some situations that need God to show up because he's in my heart. And I'm not me coming in with a loud voice and proclaiming and commanding and directing, but if we are followers of Christ and committed to him and getting this as right as we know how to live like a true follower of Jesus, you are bearing the kingdom with you wherever you go. If you walk into a room where things are spinning out of control, you bring the kingdom. I think this is telling us, listen, if you don't get this right, you will not carry kingdom authority. You'll be a child of God, but your, your inheritance of the kingdom, to be a participant in the kingdom, you're forfeiting that by your behavior and your attitude. And I'm thinking, oh God, I look back in my life and I got to tell you, there's places in my life where I deeply regret the fact that I wasn't everywhere I should be. And when people needed me the most, I couldn't deliver because this was out of kilter in my heart. It's a sobering, scary thing to think about, but we have a responsibility. We have a responsibility to carry God in our hearts to the people who need him. And if we aren't in the right place, we're carrying an empty box. You know, we're just, we're not there. And I think that's one of the great pay attention in this whole portion. And I'm going to be concluding Put off the old. Worship team, you come on. I'm, I'm done. Put off the old. Put the new on. Let's get this right. Let's get our hearts in the right place. Let's be aligned in our hearts that God's authority can begin to flow through us again. We're not going to be big shots. We're going to be messengers of something really good. We're going to carry something good. Um, Kent prayed this morning, thanking God for the harvest. Uh, I watch a bunch, Pat and I watch a bunch of farm shows. We're farm YouTuber guys and girls. Uh, I don't know why we do that. I'm a farm kid, and I guess that's why I do it. I don't know why she does it. She's just, she just, she likes these guys and girls. And one of the farms, there's, we watch Millennial Farmer and Larson Farms and Fast Egg, which is straight south of here. They're in Montana. They, they actually had a pretty good year, except for grasshoppers and gophers. Uh, Mike Mitchell, farm south of Swift Current, got a farm up north. He had good crop up there and just nothing down there. And Welker Brothers, Welker Farms, they're in uh, just north of Shelby. Beautiful, God-fearing people, wonderful people. They're just followers of Christ. They got about three or four bushels to the acre. That's discouraging. And the Western church, we're maybe getting two or three bushels to the acre, it seems like. But the crop is ready. But the laborers are few. That doesn't mean you're doing this and that in the church necessarily, but those who are serving Christ, not enough. We need more. God bless.
Set free. 